welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like capital ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It would mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy. If you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy, you can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions. And that means the world to me. And I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. But my name is Dr. Janie Lacey, and I'm a licensed psychotherapist, psychologist, and I own and operate a full service counseling center where our therapists specialize and are experts in their areas of practice. 
And one of my areas of expertise and experience in my actual practice is focusing on compulsions and addictions, especially around love, relationships, and sex. And, you know, as I'm thinking about, does money make us happier? I often think about the couples and the individuals that I work with. The topic of money is usually at the forefront, especially around financial control and relationships and financial betrayal. So I'm going to challenge some of your thoughts this morning or wherever you are in this world afternoon to really take a walk with me a little bit on the dark side of money as we think about money related to happiness. So I want to give you some food for thought. Will money truly make you happier? And I want to first define some terms that some people may not necessarily be familiar with uh, working definitions that we use in the world of psychology around money. The first one, I want to lay this foundation in this conversation is financial infidelity, right? So basically what that means to, to you as we consider, especially relationships and money and happiness is financial infidelity is that hidden or that exploitive use of money and finances in a relationship, which is very destructive. And most of the time I'll see it around sexual infidelity. And I'll share a little bit why that is in a bit. But these behaviors are often the result of, and this is where when we're talking about hierarchies of needs and these things that um, we were just talking about, Ify, that when we go back to our belief system, sometimes this can come from our unhealthy beliefs and attitudes learned in childhood around money, around power. You know, when I think about some of my clients, when it comes to financial infidelity, there's some common behaviors that I'll see that happen. I want to share some of those with you as we think about money and our happiness, especially in terms of relationships. So we'll often see sometimes impulsive financial decisions. And if you're in a relationship or you're married or even previous relationships, think about the differences that you and your partner had around money. And especially if one partner had impulsive financial decisions around money, how did that make you feel? You may have had all the resources, but if their behavior made these impulsive financial decisions, what was the messaging that you felt, especially if it goes back to some of the things that are yet to be dealt with from unhealed wounds in our childhood around money? And sometimes I'll see with some of my clients, I work with, um, a variety of population. I'm with uh, Paul Brunson's his Inmost Therapy. So we work with a lot of celebrities around the world, you know, retired athletes, all these types of things. So sometimes we'll see wealth obsession and we'll see money insecurity, even though someone may have more resources than the average person. Or what about revolving credit card debt, especially in the in context of couples? It's usually a conversation that comes up in couples therapy. Or what about chronic overspending? Or if one person is under earning, what does that look like in a relationship or hiding purchases? Sometimes I'll see that in the couples, they have the financial resources, but one person still feels like they have to hide the purchases or hide the bags, so to speak, when she or he's coming home. And what about secret bank accounts and unresolved relationship conflicts around money and work? Some other behaviors that we'll see, and particularly around financial infidelity, is what we call monetized rage. And I'm going to define that shortly in case we haven't heard that term before. But we'll also see compulsive work, which sometimes, just a side note, that compulsive work or busyness can sometimes, not always, can be an indication 
as a trauma response. Sometimes I'll see that with some of my female clients. They're always busy, can't necessarily sit still because of anxiety. Or they sit still, they'll feel. Or what about sexual betrayal? You know, spending on money on affair partners that's not known to your spouse. I'm going to speak a little bit about that more in a minute here too. And compulsive spending, overspending, shopping, self-deprivation, financial deprivation. So when we consider happiness, we also want to consider some of the messaging, right? These are the stuff that movies are made of. Sex, money, and power. Right? Those three elements that affect all relationships at one time or another in different degrees as you consider your own relationships. But sometimes they have devastating outcomes. So I want you to consider, all right, the successful executive, right? We can, if, if you don't have a reference point in your own life, just think about a movie, right? There's always a theme somehow in movies. But consider the successful executive with an, who's carrying an ongoing extramarital fear. Or even consider the spouse who travels for business and takes sexual advantage while working out of town. Right? These are the topics that are constantly coming up in my area of working with couples. So sexual betrayal often sometimes includes financial betrayal. Makes sense, right? <laughs> if you're gonna be sexually betraying your spouse, you're usually spending some money and it's usually family money that your spouse doesn't know about because you're sometimes, you know, will find that they're paying for their affair partner's rent or they're lavishing them with drinks or gifts. And this, this is regardless of, of gender involved, by the way. But betrayal on this sometimes in similar ways creates real and lasting damage to primary relationships and family finances. So a family can have all the money. But as Monica said earlier, if the foundation isn't there, if they're not truly happy within themselves and in the relationship, you know, finances and resources can cover up and can be a distraction. So unfortunately, some of our clients, they get help only after negative consequences of their financial and sexual betrayals. They become so severe um, that they can no longer be ignored. And that's usually when uh, my wheelhouse, when couples are usually one foot out the door, that's when they usually come to see, see me. Or it's this longstanding conflict, especially around sex or money or entrepreneurship or, or workaholism that they're past the expiration date, but they're now trying to, to seek, seek help. So in 2013, one of my colleagues from the, I'm a faculty member with the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. So basically what that means is I'm part of a team that we teach therapists around the world how to deal, for me specifically, my niche is how to deal with women and sex and love compulsive or addiction issues. But one of my colleagues, her name is Deborah Kaplan at the, at the Institute. And I interviewed her on my show, Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. And she discussed her book, it's called The Battle of the Titans, Mastering the Forces of Sex, Love and Power in Relationships. If you have a moment, I highly suggest you uh, read or listen to the podcast or you can even watch it on YouTube, especially around this topic. But she published, for Love and Money, Exploring Sexual and Financial Betrayal in Relationships. And she described this term, which I want to share with you a little bit, in case you haven't heard it before, but monetized rage. And what that means, and she talks about it in her publication, it's the behaviors that involve financial control and exploitation that's fueled by covert or overt levels of rage and shame. I know that's heavy to really think about. But if we're considering money and happiness, we got to consider it all or even your own frame of reference when it comes to financial 
betrayal or even growing up as a little girl or little boy? How did you see your parents interact with money? Did you see your mom hide her purchases from her dad, right? It all matters. But when we also consider the Me Too movement, you know, in that movement, right? And if you study that, I like to study different movements. It had, at, in, two, in 2013 in particular is what I'm referring to, it had yet to expose the sexual harassment and financial exploits of the powerful men, for example. So calling out those sexual and financial exploitation of vulnerable women, we consider the Me Too movement, men were exploited too, but at a lesser degree of frequency if we kind of look at the, the gender um, exploitation. It hadn't yet been found and it hadn't had its rightful voice yet in, in history. So when we consider the Me Too movement, it shined a light on sexual abuse and eroticized rage, which is basically the patterns of sexual arousal that are fed by elements of revenge, entitlement, and resentment. And every single person who's hearing my, my voice, by the way, we all have what we call an arousal template. <laughs> we can have that conversation uh, another time. But, you know, when we think about eroticized rage, this arousal pattern is based on shame turned into anger, and it's often involved with what we consider covert or overt levels of abuse and possibly even violence, violence. But when we think about the abuse of women in particular, when it came around this movement, there was often included financial exploitation. And those patterns of abuse were not only sexual, but also financial. So why is that? Why does that matter in this conversation? So in particular, for looking at women coming up through the different generations, I know I watched my mom needing to be completely dependent on my father who was abusive in many ways, that as a little girl watching that, I would say that I was never gonna put myself in a position. So when we think about our belief system, sometimes we're either running from something unconsciously, subconsciously that's buried inside of us that we need to kind of pull out to understand our motivation and our intention. So at some point when I look at even my you know, advancements in degrees. It's because I also saw an education in my family and I saw education as an opportunity to be able to take care of myself if needed, right? Where I saw the women before me financially dependent on, in my family, the, the men, which created very little choices. So there was a belief system in me that in order to to have financial freedom, that I also had to have my own lane and I had to have my own um, ways of making money because of what I saw as the download with my mother. So consider that. What did you see in your family of origin, especially around money? Because whether we are aware of it or not, all of those beliefs and downloads matter to how we view money, right? The scarcity mindset, the abundance mindset, right? So now when we think about how do we turn that around, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. I want to give you a couple more um, definitions. So when we think about the term that I used earlier, monetized rage. Some of you may have never heard that term before, but that really, when we're looking at monetized rage, especially when I'm looking in terms of power and sex and money with my clients and couples, these are some of the behaviors that have a close relationship with what I mentioned earlier called eroticized rage. Hey listeners, if you enjoy listening to Breakfast with Champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called The Morning Five, five simple steps to an extraordinary morning. If you can transform your morning, you can transform your life. Head on over to themorningfive.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day.
Both sets of actions involve control and exploitation using rage, contempt, disdain, and a perverse entitlement. Where eroticized rage in particular is about sex, monetized rage is about financial control and exploitation fueled by covert and overt levels of rage and shame. So what does that look like in your life? Do you even know what shame looks like in your life around money? You know, especially when we consider financial betrayal or financial infidelity, sometimes we look down at the root cause. Sometimes it goes with those belief systems that have yet to been dealt with in one's childhood. Or, you know, even I, as I mentioned my own case, we're looking at my mom not having any power or freedom because she was so financially dependent on my father. But there is a greater potential for expectation for exploitation. It's changing now. Um, it really is. We look at trends and just women having um, just as much opportunities with entrepreneurship, with higher advanced degrees. But there's a greater exploitation of a vulnerable person with money. When the more powerful individual is in a position to deny or grant access of resources. Right. And that's what I've seen with my my mother um, in particular. And these are two forms of abuse or control that are not mutually exclusive because when money and sex are fused in the service of exploitation, the two create an even more destructive form of rage and control and often exhibited in, you've all probably heard this term, right? Sometimes it's overused, but narcissistic and potentially psychopathic populations. So let's consider this. But yet their partner has the, the financial control, right? So should having millions to your family name make one happier? But yet the partner has all the financial control and only allows the partner a monthly allowance. It's a very common case that I see a lot of times with some of my wealthy couples. And many times that's been their family structured set up, but they're not coming to my office by mistake, right? So it's just something to consider. So when we consider monetized rage and just like eroticized rage, it's opportunistic and it's frequently rooted in deep feelings of anger and shame that justify exploitation of personal gain. And are sometimes, it's sometimes, not always synonymous with, with narcissism, right? Because if we look at the term narcissist, right? There's a crave, there's a craving for authority and power and it, in many different forms. Sometimes people think they're going to recognize a narcissist when they come to the door. It's not the case at all. But this assumes self-entitlement, grandiose, and a biased views of the self while exploiting relationships for, you know, in this case, either sexual or financial benefit. So in working with lots of uh, people through the years in different positions of power or fame, I want you to consider a couple of narcissistic personality traits. And the reason why I bring this up when we take the walk on the dark side <laughs> of money and happiness is sometimes we'll see a correlation with a uh, narcissistic personality, for example. But a couple of things to consider with narcissistic personality, common traits, I should say, is taking advantage of others to achieve their goals or preoccupation or obsession with fantasies that focus on exaggerated success or power, intelligence, approval, and acceptance. Or sometimes it's a belief in one's uniqueness to an exaggerated degree. Or what about the inability to recognize 
or identify with the feelings, the needs and perspectives of others. A common one that we often will hear when it comes to narcissistic personalities, that lack of, of empathy or compassion. Or what about that envy? There you go. What about that envy of others or a belief that others are envious of him or her, meaning the narcissist? And then there's the, okay. Then there's the, the hypersensitivity to criticism or defeat. Or sometimes, you know, we think about narcissism, especially when it comes to finances and power, it's an arrogant behavior or attitudes. You may be thinking of someone who doesn't necessarily mean if they have those traits that they're narcissistic. So let me just say that. But when we're looking at narcissism of people that do have narcissism traits or personalities, there usually is a high exploitation around finances and money. And usually it's the people closest to them, like a spouse. All right, uh, Dr. Janie. So what so what help <laughs> is does it look like from from monetized rage for for in particular? You know, so when I consider this, you know, our work helps to identify, and this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have these high dysfunctional traits as far as the dark side of, of money and happiness, but I believe we all, you know, need different parts of us to heal. And part of that means that we bring a lot of our belief systems to our conscious mind so that we can work out of our own dysfunctional patterns. So when we think about our work in, in my field in particular, you know, we want to help people identify those underlining issues that contribute to that dynamic that put, uh, for example, for me, many couples at continued risk for that relation, relational distress or, or even dissolution. You know, unfortunately, not all couples that come through couples therapy stay together. And we can predict uh, with high um, accuracy those that will stay together and those that won't. You know, again, it's just the mold behind the wall. Sometimes it's eventually going to come down. But nevertheless, in every relationship, you know, there's imbalances. So if you're thinking about your own relationship, in every relationship, there's some level of imbalances and relational currencies, right? But there, these are sometimes spoken and unspoken agreements about those imbalances. So even as you're, you're listening to me, consider your own, especially your romantic relationships, what's the imbalance around not only the relationship currencies, but your financial currencies. But when we're looking at it from a relational standpoint, especially in my field of work, at times when there is poor communication about needs, and this again goes back to um, what Monica was mentioning earlier, those hierarchy of needs, Sometimes what we'll see, and this is why they come in, especially uh, for me in particular, because it can lead to seeking external self-gratification, such as overspending or hiding finances on credit cards or not sharing with your spouse what you're really spending because you're avoiding the arguments. And sometimes this can include emotional or sexual conquests outside of, outside of the relationship. A couple of things, and I'm going to open it up to kind of hear some of your, your thoughts. But not all relationships are created equal, okay? Let's just put it out there. But some partners do wish, when I look at some of my couples through the years, they do wish to stay in their relationship and work together with their partner to restore an imbalance of power, which I think is a healthy and a noble thing to do, especially if two people want to grow and work through it together. But there's also other individuals who recognize that to stay in potentially an exploitive dynamic is unhealthy and sometimes, you know, potentially life-threatening to themselves or even their loved ones. And in this case of, of heightened risk or even threat 
I always suggest, and especially if there's anyone that's listening to that, that can relate to that and that brings up anxiety, you want to seek help of a professional to protect yourself, to make plans to carefully, you know, exit the relationship if that's the course of action. But healthy relationships are built on empowered partners, not indifference or avoidance, being it avoidance from sexual intimacy, avoidance from having those tough conversations around the money issues. And sometimes when we know that addiction, or we do know, if, especially in my line of work, we do know that addiction impairs connection with, with others. So it's hard. You know, we look at addiction as non-relational relief, right? So if someone is suffering from any type of addiction, which obviously there's going to be hiding around money and spending, having tough conversations is usually not something that would come natural, right? Because of um, the, the conflict and there's usually shame when there's addiction because it does impair that connection, not only to themselves, but to others. And, and I'm also of the mind between themselves and in God, which is where they can build and grow um, in their in their life, because it's a creative, in my opinion, it's a creative source. So if addiction, think about this in the sense of, if addiction can impair connection with another, we also know it creates a false sense of power. And power factors very largely in, for example, many people are are familiar with the 12 steps, right? So there's some 12 step language when we consider higher power. So that's clearly step one, if you're familiar with the 12 steps, to came to believe that I'm powerless over alcohol or addictions or my money and that life has become unmanageable. But that sense of power, which is powerlessness, because we give our power away to something, a person or a place or a thing or to someone else. So when you think of in terms of what happens in relationship, we can give our power over to a person and allow the exploitation of family finances, for example. So my colleague, Deborah Kaplan, in her book, it's called Battle of the Titans. She interviews her own mother. <laughs> it's actually uh, interesting when you read it. And I had her on my show talking about it. But she interviewed her own mother for the book because she describes part of her own story in Battle of the Titans being that she was once a female uh, powerhouse on Wall Street. Very interesting uh, female, in case you're interested in just reading her book and learning about her. But in her book, you know, her mom said, well, well, you know, my your father, talking to, to Deb, could not have controlled me with money if I didn't allow him to. And it was interesting, on, as Deb talked about it, about that, that being a game changer for her as the daughter, because she never understood in her parents' marriage just how complacent her mother was and what Deb coined her mom's false empowerment, because she looked at her mom was, she was in powerlessness, that she described her mom as being avoidant. She didn't want to get involved with her father dealing with the money and, and the bills and all those other things. But, but Deb described that her mom really had no choice, you know, as someone who's in my field now and, you know, is um, well adverse in her own history. She said, given to her father's nature and his, his natural proclivities that he would have been controlling anyway. So she believed that, that she was a part of this. And that's where Deb began to look at how betrayal and secrets occur around money in relationships. Because if you turn a blind eye and not want to know what you don't want to know, are you really part of the problem? So how might you have the ability to protect, potentially alter how much a controller's exploitation is allowed to happen, possibly in the darkest or the most impaired relationships that control happens in plain daylight? in the case of many of my clients. And those very, very, at times, very risky relationships have nothing to do with someone who did not see it coming. Think about that. 
but there truly are victims in financial control and exploitation when it comes to, to, to one of the strongest ways that relationships can be a place of not feeling safe. And I say unsafe because it sounds, I know it sounds a little dramatic, but, <laughs> but giving up financial control or giving up the desire to want to know something can lead many people into a path of too late, too little, too late when they find out. So as we consider, can money make you happier? I want you to think in terms of power. I want you to think of your own sense of power and power in your relationship. And what does power really mean? You know, our earliest interactions are characterized by power. Life is about learning to navigate power. Being aware of power is the first step towards reducing control and exploitation for yourself and others. And I'm not talking about necessarily 12 steps. I'm talking about life. <laughs> We're born and we are powerless when our caregiver is there, right? They're there to help nurture us and develop us into, into life. Because without a caregiver, we have no ability to thrive. Just like a plant. You know, I like plants. I have plants in my backyard. But if we have a, um, a plant, we water it and we, we feed it. But without nurture, it can't, it can't thrive. So we need other people to help reflect back to us to a certain degree who we are. So in other words, if I fall, think about yourself as a little girl or a little boy. If I fall and I hurt myself and I don't know what hurts, what hurt means yet until someone says, oh, oh, Janie, you hurt yourself. And they validate that, that. Yes, I have pain. And we need that. Actually, our brain needs that and that helps what is called mirror, mirror neurons, right? So there's mirror neurons in relationship. That's why we're broken in relationships. We heal in relationships. And it helps develop that sense of identity. So I'm going to stop right there because I can probably go on and on. It's one of my uh, favorite topics, especially around exploitation of uh, financial. But I want to hear from some of you. What's your thoughts with some of the things I've shared? What hey, are your thoughts? Yes. Hey, Ramon, hey, go ahead. Hey, good morning. I just want to uplift you and say this is such an important topic as one has been married for 29, 30 years. These are dark, dark, deep things. Some are traumatic and 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 scary, you know, or others of us, thank God, it's not dramatic and scary, but still necessary. We have issues, if you get what I mean. There's some people doing punch in the face. That's different than if you're just arguing all the time. So my point is, I just want to say it's so useful even to me listening. I'm writing notes like, dang, me and my wife could do better in some of these areas. So thank you for what you're sharing and, and thank you. Thank you so much, Ramon. And it's very uh, true, especially the longer couples have been married, there's no doubt a hundred percent at some point finances becomes a very sticky point. And it's also very common to Ramon's point that usually what we'll see is there's sometimes a spender and there's a saver and therein lies a difference, right? So someone, if you don't know your partners and this applies to everyone, if you don't know your partner's history around finances, that's it doesn't matter how long or how little you've been married. That's something you want to know. How did your family deal with money? What's your belief around money? Because if you think about if someone has more of a scarcity mindset, there are people I work with that have, un, to me, unlimited resources. I mean, they've created generational wealth, but yet they still cut coupons, so to speak. So when you think about in terms of relationship, that's something you want to have a conversation about. And if someone kind of gets upset or avoids it, <laughs> then there's something that, that needs to be dealt with. So I know this is a, a large stage, but love to get some more shares. So um, if you're flashing your mic and I don't see you, you can just go ahead and pop in and just say your name and your comments or your question. Dr. Janie, good yes. morning. Good morning. Burns, how are you? I am doing well on this uh, February day. How are you? I am well. 
also thank you so much for asking. This is such an incredible topic and the fact that you were able to name it in such a precise way is absolutely incredible. I love the fact that you've given a name to the sex, love, and power addiction, which is the arousal template. And I'd never heard of that before, but it does, it definitely makes sense, especially when it's a narcissistic personality, um, you know, and just the, the different phases that the other partner might be going through. Absolutely incredible. Love the topic this morning. Thank you so much for sharing. I am sitting here writing notes and just loving the juicy conversation. Enjoy your day. This is Linnell Burns. Thank you so much, uh, Linnell. Appreciate your, your feedback. And I hope um, we continue to think on some of these topics and how they all apply to all of our life. So before I hand it over to Kate, anyone else want to just pop in? Just uh, You can just go ahead and unmic and say your name and share your comment or your, your questions. Jackie here, Dr. Jamie. Wow, um, your segment touched on so much and so many life experiences that affected me. Um, my mother was very dependent on my father for finances. You know, she was a stay-at-home woman. And I swore having seen that situation that I would never ever depend on anybody so it impacted my life hugely and then you're talking about you know narcissistic people etc um sadly the person that I thought was closest to me um which is my I call her my TTS my toxic twin sister she turned out to uh not just try to destroy me financially, but so many family members that she targeted, um, taking it to the extent where she manipulated our dad after he'd had a stroke. And then sadly, when my mom passed away just over a year ago, we found out the day before we were to bury her that um, this TTS person, whose name I, I don't even like to say now, um, had taken ownership of the plot and stopped my mom being burying being buried with my dad and beside my brother so that she could take ownership of the plot for herself so it's like there's so many experiences through what you have said and it's been so valuable and it just resonates i'm sure not just with me but so many people and thank you so much for breaking it down as well as you did really appreciate it. This is Jackie in the red, handing back the baton. Thank you so much for your share, Jackie. You know, you um, pulled out a very relevant point to everyone here at the breakfast table, and that is looking even at our family um, context with our siblings. And, you know, I remember one of the hardest, I'm going to share this and I'll turn over to Kate. One of the hardest conversations I've ever had was, um, and mind you, I have uh, eight sisters, one's deceased. Um, but one of the hardest conversations that I had with one of my sisters was asking her to remove me from the list of people that she called and asked for money. And I realized her limited mindset, Jackie, Jackie, when she replied to me and she said, well, I thought I was doing you a favor, Janie, by asking you first. <laughs> And it took me a while to get to this, to even get to that conversation. I had a lot of anxiety. I was just processing it even before I had it because I would be sharing, I would be helping her financially. And then one day I woke up and was just looking at her social media and I realized that she had products and certain brands 
that I didn't even own, but yet I was helping pay for some of her basic needs. And I realized that sucker was written on my forehead. So, you know, uh, us all examining this morning, not only our relationship with money, our beliefs with money and our unconscious beliefs around money, especially if we've been in toxic relationships. So. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.